Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. You're right. How goes it? Welcome to another Excess Long Player. I'm Jim Salverson and I'm talking to another artist about one of their classic albums. Today, it is a band who have just released their fourth studio album, which went to number four in the UK charts. But today on the podcast, we're going right the way back to 2017 and the release of their debut, Live for the Moment. I am, of course, as you probably know, because you've clicked on the podcast after reading the title, talking to Kieran from the Sherlocks about their debut album, Live for the Moment. Recorded in the iconic Rockfield Studios, it went to number six in the album charts and it was a key album in what felt like a real moment for guitar music in that kind of late noughties period. Loads of insight, loads of stories from Kieran on this one, so sit back, enjoy. This is the Sherlock's Live for the Moment on the XS Long Player. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah. Really good, thanks. We're going back to 2017 today for the release of your debut album, Live for the Moment. Now, when I saw this was released in 2017, because I remember so clearly it coming out, I was kind of a bit, how has it been that long since the release? Maybe it's because you've done so much since then that it feels like it's not that long ago, but does it feel like a long time in the past to you? It does, actually, yeah. It feels like almost like, well, I think with, with COVID happening, it's probably a theme for a lot of bands it sort of feels like yeah it feels like ages ago and like I say since covid it's like equivalent to like a i've heard tyson fury say it a few times like a second career it feels like that it's almost like we had a big change up and pretty much yeah like you just said it i think we have done a lot since getting back we've like smashed two albums out of park straight away so like got four albums now which is a lot of fun picking a set list as i've just found out but <laughs> Yeah, that first that first album, it, it does, honestly, it feels years ago. Some of them songs we haven't played in ages. Well, I want to go back to even before the first album, to kind of the early days of the band, because you and the boys, you all grew up in Bolton-upon-Dern in near Barnsley. What was the music scene like up that way? Because it's, it's not a place I'm familiar with other than it being where you guys come from. There basically is no scene. When we started, obviously we started out as a cover band, there were us and another cover band who were older than us. That were it. That, that were all that were happening. And basically the music scene is non-existent. It's just people who go out to a working men's club or a pub and watch your bog standard sort of rock covers band sort of thing. And then obviously when we started doing his own music, that were like pretty much unheard of. Just no one does that. Where we're from, that just doesn't, that's not even a, it doesn't even exist. It's just like, you go out, watch a cover band, that's it. So when we started doing his own music and then playing his own gigs, I think that's when people started maybe paying a bit of attention, like, oh, these lads are doing well. The mentality where we're from, I think it, it's not like, you know, we don't live in the centre of Sheffield or in Manchester where people get it instantly. They, they know that they're trying to have a cracker doing their own music and stuff like that. Where we're from, it's not, it's not like that. It's almost like we're 20, 30 years behind time where people go out and watch call it a turn so i think it took some adjusting for people to realize what we were trying to achieve and be like all oh, right they, they play their own music do you think that was a challenge then yeah do you think that made it more difficult the fact that you were it wasn't a kind of like hey you're the only horse in town so suddenly you're the ones that the kind of the younger people who are kind of getting into music are going to go and see yeah like i said i think it took some adjusting we were a cover band for a while 
and we gathered like a lot of fans or just a lot of buzz in our area at the time. And then when we started doing his own music, the job was to like try and convert them to we're doing our stuff now. So jump on board and watch us play our songs. And, and obviously people who were watching us before, they were like, all oh, right, there were free gigs in working men's clubs and stuff like that, playing other people's songs. And then all of a sudden to go from that to try and charge people the ticket price, even if it were three quid at time, like, and we're not playing in this local area. You've got, you've got to try and make a trip to Sheffield, come and watch us here. Like that took some adjusting for a lot of people. But we, uh, that that's obviously just focusing just on our area. Like, we weren't just thinking like that. Obviously, we are trying to get into Sheffield and play like the uni bars and stuff like that and do the same in Manchester. Like, is it night, day and night, uh, night and day cafe? Night and, and day, yeah. Yeah, there were, there were one next to it as well. I forgot what it's called now. Yeah, I forgot the original question, but it definitely took some adjusting <laughs> and probably probably did make it a little bit harder at the time just because people were that used to us doing a certain thing. We're going to fast forward a little bit because you did manage to kind of build up enough steam to kind of get out of that area and you mentioned Sheffield and you built up this following in kind of Yorkshire and the surrounding areas and there was a real industry buzz building up around you as a band even before the release of the debut I think you were the first unsigned band since the Arctic Monkeys to sell out the iconic lead mill in Sheffield which I mean it's one of a fair few Arctic Monkeys comparisons that you've had to deal with through the years but what did it feel like at that stage? Did it feel like as a band you were kind of on the cusp of something that it was getting exciting? Yeah, it did, yeah, it did. We just sort of cracked on for ages and just were like a horse with blinkers on. Just like gig, gig, next gig, going back, <laughs> gig, 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 and try and really just just smash it. No distractions, just like if we weren't practicing while gigging, it felt like we're gigging or doing something as a band every day. But that's how we wanted it. Like, no one made us do that. That's how we wanted to do it and really focus on it. And obviously, when you do a gig and you get that buzz, then you just have to mold it. Like, back then, we used to do a gig and then pretty much announce the next one straight after. Obviously, I mentioned that Night and Day Cafe and uh, this first proper gig in Manchester were like Crack Gallery. I think there were like 100 people or something like that. And we sold it out. And uh, it was just the buzz you get from that were just unbelievable. Like, I think straight away we just announced something else, like wherever it was, Sound Control or one of them venues. For the album, you guys are whisked off to Rockfield Studios, which is an iconic place that's created so many iconic albums. Manic Street Preachers have worked there, Oasis have worked there. Was it hard at that point? I mean, you've built this buzz, you've been working hard. Was it hard at that point not to kind of get carried away when you're standing in Rockfield Studios and you've got the echoes of greats in the walls to go, hang on, this is it. We've done this, we've made it. In hindsight, yeah. But at the time, no, like we just, it was just another thing happening. But I suppose looking back, even starting in Rockfield Studios as your debut is like, you've set the benchmark pretty high. Mm. Honestly, I've not even heard of like Rockfield Studios. None of us knew the history of like certain studios, only, only obviously like the most obvious ones, but Rockfield Studios weren't on our radar and we'd not heard of it. It were only until it were booked in and we're like, oh yeah, let's go to Rockfield where we start finding out that all these bands and all that history were there. But I can remember a period where we were like trying to decide who to go with for his debut album, who's the best guy to record it. And we tried Dave actually, who did his, his third album. We went down and did a couple of tunes Chasing Shadows and Will You Be There with Dave Erringer. Loved Dave like, straight away. I, I think we always knew we'd work with him. I think the only reason we didn't work with Dave on that first album was it weren't anything to do with the sound he got or his ability or, or anything like that. It was just 
up until that point, all them early singles we'd been putting out, we'd done them with a guy called Gab Monaghan, who ended up doing the first album. And we just had a, a slightly better relationship, like talking fine margins. It's just because we'd, we'd sort of done everything with him until that point. It just didn't feel right to like end up not doing your first album with him. He was the guy who basically recorded like early versions of Live for the Moment and Last Night and Escapade, stuff like that, where that gathered always momentum up, up until that point. So, yeah, fast forward, ended up doing uh, the album with Gav. But we still we still love the version of Will You Be There that Dave did. So we ended up using Dave's version rather than Gav's. So, yeah, that album's done by Gav, barring Will You Be There. But Rockfield Studios, what studio? Like, I remember walking around it just... I'd never been in a studio like it, to be honest. It was unbelievable. Like, we did it in the Quadrangle Studio, which is a little bit bigger. Just the whole experience, to be honest. Even, like, what do you call it when you're... Yeah, residential. Like, I'm not sure if you've been, but there's, like, literally... It's like a... You basically get, like, a dormitory each sort of thing. You've got your own little house. And uh, just the hours we were working were pretty insane as well. Like, we used to start at 11 o'clock in the morning, work all day, obviously... Go for your dinner at some point, six o'clock or whatever. And then I'd always be in the studio, like I'm pretty OCD, a bit of a control freak. Like I hate the thought of like getting down that's going to potentially stay and not being there just in case like I walk in and the guitar passed down and it's just like, what's that? And then you've got to start causing a fuss. So I'm, I'm just there all the time. But I can remember one night we worked basically all night. We'll come into bed when it was light and it was like six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning and we're starting at 11 again. So pretty nuts. I was going to ask about the, the work ethic when you got into the studio and whether it kind of, because it's a very different vibe being in a residential and suddenly kind of like all lads together than it is doing day trips to wherever it is you're doing your, your singles. But it sounds like, I mean, you're a band that clearly have worked hard throughout your careers. It sounds like that continued once you're in that studio setting. Did you get the opportunity to blow off steam? Because one of the things about Rockfield is, is it's in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot going on. And with... Two sets of brothers in the band, I imagine, being in the middle of nowhere, kind of cooped up in a limited surroundings, things might get a bit angsty, a bit tasty at times. Do you know what? We're pretty, um, we weren't, I'd say we, we turned the screw up a little bit more, weirdly, on the third album. But the first album, we, um, we were all new to us. We'd only been in a couple of studios before that. And we were very focused on just like getting the work done. Like, not, not really much. Just literally having a couple of beers on the night and chilling, but like the like I said, the hours we're working were just pretty nuts looking back and probably not not the best idea to work that way because after a couple of weeks you do start flagging, like when you're gonna bed at five, six. But yeah, whilst I'm saying this, it just reminds me of third album, but the third album were just much different to this. Like I said, all that time, even though we're staying up that late thinking about it, we were working and uh, and it were much more like regimental, like let's get this down. And obviously your first album as well is a collection of songs that you've had since you started writing them. And I think at the time we, we felt like we owed the fans just a bit of a duty to like record the songs how, how we've been playing them and how they've heard them. So we can't explain it. We didn't really, we weren't happy enough to put the demos on. We, we always felt we could make them sound way better. But at the same time, like we're aware that the fans love these early versions. So we purposely didn't change any arrangements or if we did it or like very not a lot to shout about and yeah we just want we just wanted to basically make them demos but put them on steroids and just make them sound a lot better because they, they did sound very raw so yeah that that basically was the mission on that first album let's try and record 
this bunch of songs we've been playing for years now and that got us to this point but let's handle it we care and and not come out sounding super produced and don't mess around with arrangements too much uh so that was a mission yeah we're a good time looking back very good time i didn't quite get the rock and roll story i was looking for there i spoke to kyle from the view recently they recorded in rockfield and got kicked out after stealing a tractor and crashing a tractor and had to record the rest of the album somewhere else so you let me down <laughs> slightly there but the the stuff about going in with kind of songs and wanting them to sound not too different to your fans liked is really interesting because normally you go into a studio and you have kind of these raw pieces and then the studio is the time for experimentation it's time for building out these songs was there not so much of that it was more a case of look we want to be honest here we want to kind of give the album the live feeling that, no, that were it. All the experimenting and stuff like that sort of came after. The first album were very much... We weren't just like going into it just like, oh, we don't care, or we haven't got any... We haven't really got any buzz anyway, so we'll just do whatever we want. We, we, I wouldn't call it pressure. It was just more like, oh, we've got something good going for us here. We've got a lot of people. We pushed it to a point, we felt, where we couldn't really leave it any longer. Like It felt like everybody was just like, basically saying just release release an album we've had all these singles and we've come to watch you and we we love your band just release your album that's basically what it felt like at the time and when we got in it'd probably be harder to try and do that anyway to try and change up the songs like there weren't much point you were just like we've been playing all these songs that clearly work and we've gathered like a lot of books let's just go in and do these songs but we didn't want to we didn't want to go in and make it sound too much like early Arctic Monkeys like and go for that sort of vibe, like raw. We wanted it to sound... We basically, I think at the time, we were saying we wanted it to sound like what we sound like live, but more polished. We, we had a couple of parties and stuff, but it was much more like... I can't remember a lot of time where we weren't busy working, really. Like There weren't as many parties, but yeah, like I said, the third album was the complete opposite. <laughs> complete opposite of that, so... I think you're about to talk about that at some point. Yeah. Like I said, I thought on the first album, I think we're that focused on just like, let's go in and do this. We're just obviously a lot younger. I'm not even sure how old I was then. We're at 2016. I'm 27 now, so 8, 19, is it? Yeah, yeah. Can't do the maths. No, I can't. It's too early. <laughs> You've got the album in the bag and pre-launch, you were feeling pretty confident about it, I think. There was a quote I found from an interview you did with The Enemy just before the album was released and you said, I think we could be the pioneers of guitar music yeah. when our new album drops. Now, looking back at that statement, how did you feel about it? And do you feel like you did kind of move the needle somewhat in terms of kind of that Guitar music resurgence. A bold quote, that one. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> I think I must have been feeling super confident that day. I don't know. It, it definitely, looking back, it did feel like we were part of, not a movement, but it felt like there were a lot of bands doing what we were doing, that were getting like a bit of success. At the time, it was like us, Catfish, who obviously went on to do massive things. I'm not sure if Amazons were. Yeah, they were probably about on the first album, Sundara Karma. Circle with like there were a lot of bands where it did feel like a bit of a scene, and, and obviously, there's a crossover with bands as well. Where nobody just goes to watch one band, you obviously, if you're into guitar music, there'll be a, a bunch of bands that you want to go and see. And it felt different to what it feels like these days, actually. It felt like there were more, well, there definitely were more guitar bands just having more success and getting on radio. Whereas these days, there is some guitar bands getting through, but like overall, it doesn't really feel like there's that much of a 
a scene. It's maybe coming back a little bit with some more upcoming bands, but I don't know. I don't know about Pioneers. <laughs> Probably didn't know what Pioneer meant. <laughs> just saying that word. <laughs> I think I think I was just trying to say we're set on a good album and we feel like we're writing best songs out of everyone at minute, but it's obviously subjective, isn't it, music? You need a bit of youthful swagger in your debut album. It's important to have that. So talk to me about, take me back to the kind of just before release when you've got the finished LP in your hand for the first time. You've done seven years of, as a band, writing songs up until this moment. You've done over a thousand gigs as well. You've put in the graft, you've put in the hard work. How did it feel to have that debut album in your hands? Just felt like a massive release, to be honest. Like, Everything up until that point is very like, it's like stepping stones to that point. It's all enjoyable. We we definitely enjoyed all of it along the way up until that point. It's little things as well, you know, like just getting like an early demo played on Soccer AM and stuff like that and just like hearing your songs on radio for the first time. Like say, even with these demos and stuff like that, it's all just like a big journey to that first album. And then when you release it, we're still saying that. Like, I can't help but stay up because I... I'm intrigued to see what people think. And yeah, you're obviously proud of it. Like you do your best and try and write good songs, record them in the best way. And ultimately, what we always try and do, or what I always try and do as a writer, is just try and never lose track of what a good song is. Or, and I'm not even talking like lyric-wise, but just musically. You know, you, you can spot a good song straight away. Like It's always got something about it, whether it's the tempo or the energy or the melody. That's the big thing for me, just writing good songs. So, yeah, up until that point, when we did release it that night, I can remember staying up and just, like, yeah, seeing it on Spotify and stuff like that. I still do it now. Like, when we release an album, it refreshes you when it gets to 12 o'clock. And when you see it on Spotify, it's just like, oh, it's art now. Like, it's good, just enjoyable. Is it pure enjoyment or is there an element of, hang on, what's going to happen here? How's this going to be received? How's it going to go down? Well, by that point, it's just it's too late. Anyway, we, <laughs> we never really, we're always confident. We're always confident going into releases because you can't really do it. You can only do, you can only trust, you can only go up what you think at the time, mm. can't you? So every decision you make, whether it's a guitar riff or whatever, vocal line, lyrics, you're always present at that time. That is what you thought were the best idea. So like you get it all down a track at a time and then you end up with a bunch of songs and then you listen to it and try and order them the best way. And then so long as you're, happy with it at the time and you put it together and think yeah we're happy with this record we're happy with artwork we're happy with how it sounds it's a good bunch of songs and then you just put it out and if people don't like it you can't really do any more than try your best on it but with the first album you're sort of like like you never know people could hate it but i suppose you're going into it thinking we've been playing these songs for years and we've only gone and recorded the same bunch of songs so i'd be very surprised if you all turn around and hate it the only people that maybe possibly wouldn't like it is the people who get attached to early demos and stuff like that like oh your early version were better which is understandable that's just human nature everybody does it like same with people getting attached to bands first albums people always go oh the first album's best that's just obviously what happens do you have the same attitude to kind of like the the press and the critical reviews because when the album came out there was good and bad reviews there always are there are a fair few comparisons to Arctic Monkeys, as we mentioned earlier. There were a fair few comparisons to the Cortinas. I think I, I seem to remember making a comparison to the Cortinas when I heard your music for the first time. I've got a line here from a review that was in The Independent, which was 
I've got to say, one of the less complimentary reviews where they said the Sherlock's debut album is literally the most uninspired by the numbers indie garage rock out there. I've got to say the the bad reviews were definitely outnumbered by the good reviews. But how did that kind of comment that was made by the likes of The Independent, how did that go down? Did Did you kind of pay any attention to it or is it just push to one side, crack on with the people that like it? I'll be honest, I don't, I don't read it. The only way I'd find out about any review, good or bad, is usually it's either sent into his band chat or it might be Brandon text me. But I am like that anyway. I don't watch news or anything. Like, if something's going to happen, even COVID to some degree, like... I only just found out about it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know everything. I don't... Honestly, I'm not... I'm not... I'm just not bothered about reviews and stuff like that. I obviously want people to like it because... You'd be daft not to. Like everybody likes wants people to not like them, but like what they're doing or say it's good and stuff like that. But it's not important. I think a lot a lot of the time, pretty much all the time, whoever's writing these reviews probably can't even write a song anyway. So it's just an opinion and we're all entitled to his opinions. We obviously thought it were great, otherwise we wouldn't have put it out. And if people don't like it, they don't ever have to listen to it again. It's like the same way you could play me a bunch of songs and I might not like if the second one's Screamo, I might not like it, but I'd never, ever put anything out on my semi-socials that I don't like something. Yeah. If I don't like it, I just, I won't listen to it again. And if I do like something, I might even put something out and be like, oh, try and spread the word about that artist or whatever, like, oh, these are good, check these out, but not everybody's like that. One of the things that I think comes across in this album is, from all four of you, I think the level of musicianship, I think it sounds like a band that is absolutely on top of their game, even at this debut album stage. Was that all part of the seven years prior, the kind of almost waiting until it felt like as a band you were ready to release a debut? You didn't want to rush it. You wanted to kind of feel like when it came, when the opportunity was there, you were in a position to take it. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Looking back on the first album, there's a lot of stuff you do, or we did, that I probably wouldn't be able to do now, like, I know it's on that first album, there's there's just guitar riffs everywhere, which we don't do quite as much, but like Nobody Knows and Candlelight, some of them songs are just like, just noodling all the way through, which I quite, like, I love. Now we seem to have stripped it back a little bit, but I love how, looking back on that first album, I love how intricate it is, and like, there's a lot of guitar tracks on it though. I think that's why we changed on the second album, because that first album, there's places where there's just no space. You just can't possibly fit any more in. It's like, there's just about a thousand guitar tracks on it. And obviously at the time, we're just like, let's get another one on. But yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's good looking back on it and seeing how you've changed and stuff like that. Like, I, w- I won't be able to write some of them songs. I just write a lot different now to how we did, but I don't know why it came out sounding like that. Like you say, we, we had a lot of time. We had a lot of time to like prepare for his first album, but even at the time of writing them, I don't think we were, we weren't trying to like be too clever or we weren't thinking about the album. The album just sort of came around. So each song just came around however it came about. And a lot of them songs were wrote at my mum and dad's house. And we used to be there as a band and me and Josh at the time, like used to obviously put a lot of, put a lot of effort into guitar part. We were very musical thinking about it compared to a lot of bands on the first album. A lot of it's pretty simple and what you'd expect. But there's a lot of stuff on there like where it probably does seem like we're trying to be too clever, but it's probably because we were. We we're trying to literally be clever and like we've always been into strings and string lines and just like music 
all of a sudden you're on a major chord, then it drops to a minor, and then you go into like a weird bridge. We've always been, always enjoyed stuff like that, probably because of stuff we've been listening to. It's an interesting segue that into one of the tunes I wanted to pick up on actually and I'd like you to maybe pick a couple of moments from the album in a second there can be highlights or memories from the making of specific tracks is up to you I'll give you a few moments to think about that but I wanted to talk about the final tune on the album Candlelight which I think it's a bit of a showstopper final thing you hear on the album but it's also the things you just mentioned it's a really ambitious tune that it's got a lot of guitar on it it's got a string section on it which I think it's quite unusual from a debut album, not just because of the ambition of bands at that point or the kind of musical prowess of bands, but also the budget that is allowed on a debut album from what a record label can offer. How much did you have to fight to kind of like be able to get that big sound on the debut album? Or were you just given the freedom to kind of just do what you want and make it sound massive? Bit of a compromise, to be honest. We were signed to Infectious which is like part of BMG and, and we still speak to the main guy now, like pretty regular. I'm not sure if he's, I don't think he's being fetched anymore, but Corder, he will, well, he is a, a, a legend and uh, it gives us a lot of, it gives us a lot of time and a lot of, hell of a lot of freedom. So probably push back on a lot of people and just, he was the one who, who signed us basically, the one who saw us and believed in us. And like I said, when things don't work out, even though there's no fallout, you just like choose to go a different route. It just shows like when you still speak to people like that, and because uh, he always he always loved his band from start. So yeah, I think he's responsible for a lot of. He needs a lot of credit for that. It definitely gave us a lot of time and and wanted us to go and make the best album we could, yeah. which we obviously tried to do. And as far as the budget and stuff like that, we had a really can't remember what it was, but we definitely had a good budget, but. Not throw away either, not like do what you want. Yeah, we'll get a 50-piece orchestra in and stuff like that. But now compared to a lot of bands, especially these days, like it's money's a lot tighter. We had that stress took away from us where it was just like, let's just go in. And that was called us message, really. Like he just wanted us to go in and make the best album we can. And I suppose he was kind of saying, like, don't overthink it and don't worry too much about the outside world, which is probably how we ended up at Rockfield as well. It's the perfect place to forget everyone and just get your head into these songs. But like I mentioned earlier, when you're doing a debut album, you've got to handle it with care, but at least there's like the blueprint. Like, you know what you're doing. You've had these songs. You've just got to believe in them. And uh, some would say it's the easiest record you're going to make because you've been, if if you're a band like ours that were gigging for years before that, you could go into it just thinking, well, what's to worry about? Like, you've been playing these songs for, I don't know, six years or whatever. Or some people would say it's the hardest because there's a lot of, so I suppose there is no answer. You just got to not overthink it. Just go into it and just crack on. No, I wouldn't say we had like a stupid budget where we could just get silly with it, but something like strings. We've always been into that. I think we've probably got strings on every record. We've always been into the big sound and, and never really wanted to try and keep things small and like that kind of vibe. We've always tried to get the absolute maximum out of the songs and but yeah, Candlelight, after we recorded it, we're just like, we've got to finish the album with that one. Yeah, it's a beauty. Pick me a couple of highlights off the album for you, Kieran. Like I say, there can be things that you've got memories of recording. It could be just favourite tracks. It could be favourite lyrics that you've put together. When you look back at this album, what really stands out to you? Yeah, Candlelight's definitely one. Nobody Knows for me is a personal, maybe my favourite track on that album. I don't know why, I just think. I think the meaning behind it at the time when I was writing it, it did feel like 
not to quote the song, <laughs> even though I'm I'm gonna. It did feel like us against the world sort of thing. Like there's just us four lads going in. People are gonna have their opinion on it, and we've always felt like the underdog as well. Like we've always felt like we've been. And this might just be us thinking this, but it's maybe not a bad way to think because it probably makes you work harder. You see some bands come through and they get everything thrown at them where whether whether they sign to a massive label or whatever, a massive, massive management or they get every radio slot and stuff like that. And you can you can get too hung up on that and start getting bitter. We've never been like that, but we've we've always thought, hang on a minute, like we've got good songs and we're clearly ticket sellers where we're selling our gigs that Fans who are signed to massive labels can't, they're just not doing. I don't know, I think they were a bit of that sort of feeling when we were writing that. But yeah, that's that's favourite for me. Even just musically as well. It's pretty mad. I love that. I love the outro. I can't think if it were always like that. That might have changed slightly. It might have been like a normal length song and then like an idea gets thrown in like, oh, let's do an extend let's like do a long outro on it, and then next thing it's like Let's send it to space and back, so like reverb just goes <laughs> nuts, and then all of a sudden it closes back in. And I think there's some really good ideas, like say some ambitious ideas for a first album. So that's that's favourite for me. What's it called? Motions. That might be the only song that weren't really. It weren't part of like live for the moment and will you be there and them chasing shadows. This sort of came after, and I, I've I've always been into uh, libertines and like baby shambles and stuff like that. And uh, I forgot what tune it is, but with motions, we, we didn't really know how to handle it. it. Almost sounded a bit like a choral sort of vibe, acoustic. I'm just thinking back, yeah, yeah, that is the tune we changed in studio to that sort of vibe, like a baby shambles, rockabilly almost kind of beat, which again ended up adding like a different vibe to the album. But before that, it was bit what pretty uh, libertines cool. to the point where it was like this is this is just basically libertines. So uh, we changed that in studio, but that will... I think Gav, Gav had a, an idea, obviously going down that sort of route. Gav like, do you know what? This would sound good, almost a bit more blasé with vocal and not, not trying to sing it perfect, almost like if you're drunk. I think that's basically what he said. So he said, oh, we'll come back to this. So like, all right. And then we did end up having a party like a few nights later. And it just happened naturally, really. We were in the studio anyway, and everybody was just having a good time. And what I think we're still working, but we weren't doing anything of importance, you know, just like little percussion bits and stuff like that. And then I think I just wandered into where vocal might run, and I just said, well, let's have a go at singing that song now. And then sung it a few times, absolute spangle, to be <laughs> fair, on rum that night. And then we didn't think of, we didn't think of anything about it. I might have sung it a few times, and that were it. And then came in in the morning and Gav like oh it sounds great he's brummy accent and I had a had a listen but it sounded to me it sounded horrendous like it sounded not just like a drunken vocal like but still melodic it sounded like just shocking so we reined it back but still kept some of that character in and uh, yeah that ended up being a lot of people's favourites actually probably because it's so different and probably one of mine I've not heard it in a while but there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff like you say I'm, I'm sure you haven't heard that in a while. There's probably a lot of songs on this album you've not heard from a while. I'm sure you don't sit on a Saturday night and go, I know, I'm going to stick a, a debut album on and have a couple of beers. But when you do get the opportunity to kind of listen back and reflect on the album, how do you feel about it now? Do you look at it and go, do you know what that is? Because it, it's got an energy to it, hasn't it, this album? It's got a feel. It's kind of like this is a band who are out there to take on the world and it kind of 
knocks your head off with the first few tracks. It's full throttle. Are you kind of do you listen back and go, "That's it. We've kind of we've we've nailed it." As that's our debut album, or do you look back and go, "Oh, I wish we'd done this differently," or there was a missed opportunity in this bit? I'd love to say, "Oh, yeah." Looking back, I mean, when we came to do the second album, that was the big thing. We're almost pulling down the first album. Basically, we all felt like, "Oh." Well, maybe looking too hard as well, like thinking, what what can we do different? And the whole thing were like, yeah, we maybe put too many guitars on that. That just kept on getting repeated, like, yeah, we we didn't leave enough space and we just stuck loads of guitars on. But listening back, or the last time I heard it, it sounded better than what I remember. Like, I don't even know what the track listing order is, but Escapade were one. When it kicked in the intro, everything sounded way big like obviously what we're going for at time but it sounded like shocked me where I was but hell it does sound like this and like you said full of energy full of life and ambition and like really trying to just blow people's socks off with I think looking back we definitely did we did do a good job of, I'm glad we re-recorded it basically and not just stuck them early demos on I think they although people don't like them because it's nostalgic and it's like oh these at first demos sound way better I don't think they sound better I think I think we definitely did a good job of making them sound way bigger. Just more, like, more textures and instruments on it and better, like, way better sounds and being in a better studio and getting a better roll sound, like, drums sound way better. Like, there's, there's like, piano. We kept it very basic. Whatever we used, we, it was like a formula. So, like, we used piano. Very rarely would we actually go up top end at piano. Only on, like, candlelight. I think Gav played a bit, like, but basically... All of our parts were low octave stuff, like on Will You Be There, like dong. And we did that on a few tracks. And like, say strings, there might be some Mellotron on there. We had a, we did it a good first good, to be fair. I think we're in studio, like, right? let's just use it all. Kieran, it's been a pleasure to talk to you about your debut album and go back to Live for the Moment, which was an album that I really enjoyed discovering. I particularly enjoyed listening back to it with the new album, People Like Me and You out kind of now and seeing the progression between the two in what was a, a lot of music between now and then but a relatively short amount of time so cheers for talking me through it i know you're you're touring the new album at the moment so good luck getting that and playing it in front of uh, live audiences are we going to carry on at this pace is there going to be another album in next year and then probably like in 10 years time you're going to have a body of work that's 12 albums deep or something like that or are you going to take it easy now no we're not taking it easy no i'm not sure if there'll be a a full, like a proper studio album of new songs next year. Although there could be, you never know. I'm, I'm writing, I've got a bunch of songs ready. They're not recorded, but like, they're basically ready to go in studio. Always writing. I'm sure there'll be summer. Like I said, I don't, I'm not sure if it'll be a new album, but there could be summer in pipeline next year. We're buzzing. We've, we've basically, we've all just had a, a few weeks off chilling out because we didn't push that last album hell of a lot. Like, the amount of gigs we did were just insane, but it was worth it. We're just coming to the end of riding that wave at the minute from the album, like getting his best chart position. And the reaction's been unbelievable, to be honest. Like, people have really been, had a lot of nice things to say. And it's good. It sounds cheesy, but it, our fan base is literally like a, a family. Like, we do everything ourselves, and as fans know that. So we're sort of getting rewarded with, yeah, just, pe- just people enjoying it and saying the favorite tracks and stuff like that. And then, nah, it's just, as you mentioned, can't wait to take it on tour now and i think this new album not just saying it because it is the new album i think this album lends itself to being played live probably more than any other more than a second album probably more than a third like picking a set list 
it's been extremely hard. So we've yeah, you have to see what we play. We might change it up some night, but it's the set list looks incredible. To be fair, you're a machine, Kieran. Nice one, mate. Really good to speak to you. Yeah, nice one, man. The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. Nice one. Cheers, Kieran, for talking me through the Sherlock's debut album. Make sure you have subscribed to this podcast if you've not done so already. New episodes come out kind of every month. Depends on who I can kind of book in and when I'm available to do it, when they're available and all that kind of thing. But there are some good names in the pipeline I'm going to be talking to. These are two very different artists, Jesus Jones and The Snuts in future weeks. So make sure you've subscribed, make sure you're following. And if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, there's loads of these conversations to go out. So check the back catalogue, see if I'm talking to one of your favourite artists about one of your favourite albums. Like, subscribe, all the normal things. And I'll see you very soon for another Excess Long Player. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, Excess Manchester.